Well, our data guru, Rich Exner, said on Saturday that he feared hospitalizations were going to race up. Little did we know that we would then break the record for them on Monday. Rich Exner is wise. It's this week on the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And we have a full house of our regulars. Jane Cahoon is back. Laura Johnston is here. Chris Wernowski is here. I'm Chris Quinn. And we are ready to have some hot news discussions. Let's begin. Why are so many people in Northeast Ohio not getting their absentee ballots even two weeks after they were supposed to be mailed? Larry Johnston, this is a little scary. Everybody wondered whether the elections boards would screw this up. Turns out it's not the elections boards. It's a company that was recently flying a Trump sign over its headquarters, which creates conspiracy theories. Right. Yeah. You can't blame the boards of election or the postal service for this one. This is Midwest Direct. It's it's a printing company in Cleveland's west side that hasn't sent out probably tens of thousands of ballots. The company won't say exactly how many, but it serves 16 counties, including Cuyahoga, Lorraine and Summit. And one board apparently requested another 14,000 ballots just last week. The company put out a statement on Thursday It said, it's fair to say that no one, not the various boards of elections, not Ohio's Secretary of State, not our company, anticipated the staggering volume of mail-in ballot requests that have actually occurred. So Midwest Direct, which the New York Times, in all fairness, wrote about last week, I, I think Friday, said it had bought additional equipment, hired additional staff, and expanded its hours, but that it just was not enough. Well... I'm going to make you talk as much as possible because you have a cold and you sound funny. But (laughs) (laughs) apart from that, if you're in the election business, flying a Trump flag outside your office in a year where you're having trouble keeping up with demand is kind of stupid, right? Oh, yes, I completely agree. Apparently, they've taken down this Trump flag, but um, they have supported Republicans in the past. And so then there are these conspiracies that, well, Democrats tend to be in urban counties and urban counties vote early more often. So, you know, there's no way that you can say that they're just targeting Democrats. That doesn't make sense. But we are talking about 16 different counties. That's Butler, Cuyahoga, Clinton, Defiance, Fulton, Henry, Lorraine, Lucas, Mahoning, Miami, Stark, Summit, Trumbull, Union, Williams, and Wood, and actually two in Pennsylvania, including Allegheny, which is where Pittsburgh is. So you have a decent number of urban and suburban county names on there. Um, that does make you just, you know, it's just another one of these weird things in this very bizarre world that we're living in that it just seems like, why? well, yeah, if you're in the election business, why are you flying a Trump flag? Right. If you're Can I of, jump in here for a second? Ahead, I'm going to play Chris's role and throw the flag. I mean, who did not expect a staggering number of absentee right. We're talking right. about this for months uh, during the pandemic, how more and more people wouldn't feel safe going to the polls and they were going to exercise their right to vote by mail. So that and the other thing I found stunning was that when you use the uh, track your ballot tool, it's it's not even accurate. It just uh, one yes. of the elections directors said, oh, well, that reflects the date your ballot was supposed to be mailed. So it's not even they can't even say, yes, your ballot was mailed on that day. 
Right. And that's a really key point, Jane, because we've gotten notes from a lot of people saying, hey, my ballot was mailed two weeks ago. I still don't have it. What's going on? Because they are being misled into believing that it was mailed on the 6th. It hasn't even been printed yet because these bozos didn't expect the demand. I go back to the idea, though, if you are in the election business and you are appealing to counties of different parties, you would think that you would walk the straight and narrow as carefully as possible. Flying the Trump flag raises such questions about their wisdom that you wonder whether anybody should do business with them again. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree. And this makes sense about why people were telling, you know, why elections officials told you to request your ballot so early. Because in the past, I would just request it before early voting started. But like this way, they knew if you were requesting it in August that you wanted it, that they had to get printed. I don't think we've ever really looked into how these ballots get printed. I, I never thought about a third party source having to like get the order for the ballots. I mean, it's just an interesting part of the election process that you don't think about all the time. Well, we'll see if people get them. I mean, they may get them so late they can't mail them back and they're going to have to drop them off at the single drop box that Frank LaRose <laughs> is letting everybody have. What a and, system. Yeah, right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. We didn't set a record for most coronavirus cases for a second day in a row Monday, although it was the most ever for a Monday. But we did set a more disturbing coronavirus record in some ways. Jane Cahoon, what was it? Well, we have more people in the hospital than we've ever had before during this pandemic. 1,154 hospitalized people. That's a record, and it's a number that has more than doubled in the last month, which is really concerning. The patient count was just 586 on September 19th, and it it got to over 1,000 last Tuesday and and then to the record of on Monday. And that topped the previous record of 1,122, which was set in July, on July 28th. And uh, we got more than 300 people in intensive care, and that's up from about 200 a month ago. So this is just, I don't have any good news for you here. I mean, we, we don't seem to have a capacity problem, but about 68% of Ohio's ICU beds were in use on Monday, you know, by the 300-some COVID patients and another 2,700 being treated for, for other reasons. But the, uh, the, the thing you've got to look at for the past week is the curve. I mean, if you plot out what's been happening over the past one or two weeks, it's frightening if this doesn't get under control. I mean, the, the, once we started to hit new records last week, was it, what did you say yesterday, Laura? We had five in a week. I think so. You, you knew that hospitalizations would follow and you know that deaths will follow, uh, the, the, you know, people and it's hitting older people again. But but there's no sign that this is abating. It's not, we haven't hit a plateau. I mean, yeah, yesterday we didn't set a new record after we set one on a Saturday, but it was the most cases ever on a Monday, which is usually a depressed day. You know, do we see 3,000 cases in a single day later this week and then that follow that by a gigantic jump in hospitalizations? This is this is out of control. I'm I'm, I'm waiting to see now whether you you the schools all start to to come back down we'll see what the school numbers are this week anecdotally we're hearing more and more students are getting it so so this is frightening stuff 
it sure is. I mean, we've had uh, over 5,000 deaths, as you know, 5,075. We have one in 64 Ohioans is now known to have contracted this this virus. And uh, they think that a record 27,512 Ohioans currently are infected. So this is scary stuff. As you, you know said. what we should do, you know, cause Rich Axner is so good at this and he actually predicted we would see this on Saturday. I don't think he predicted we'd see it on Monday, but he was, but he was <laughs> ahead of the game. I wonder if he could get the curve of the winter of 1918 and match it up with the curve we're seeing now as an indicator of where we might be headed. I mean, it's just, this is frightening and, and people are fatigued and they're not taking precautions. Maybe if we showed them that curve, it would shock some of them into putting the damn mask on. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What's the story behind the latest in a growing series of boneheaded mistakes by the Armand Budish administration with the county jail? And what did his administration do over the weekend to keep those mistakes secret? You know, Chris Ranowski, we talk a lot about uh, Donald Trump and the Republican administration in Ohio on this podcast. And people say, you guys are just anti-Republican. <laughs> but, you know, we're equal opportunities when it comes to boneheaded mistakes. And in the county level, it's all Democrats. And man, are they screwing up? What's the latest? Yeah, right. Tell them to come and live in our county for a while and and, and see what we, we do with them. Uh, the, the jail over the weekend released two more inmates by mistake. And this is the fourth and fifth time they've actually done this in this year. And they did it a few times last year. And I mean, it's, it's troubling on its face that this is happening. Um, what, what we're seeing the issue being is um, some human error and some communication errors between the jail and the court systems. Uh, there, there are issues where, you know, the message that people are supposed to remain in jail are, are, are not getting to the jail from the court or vice versa. You know, it's a lot of back and forth between these two entities. Um, but what was really troubling was that we found out about this over the weekend. We got a tip and, um, we had contacted the county, uh, county spokeswoman, Mary Louise Madigan, and, and we were told that they were going to address this. They didn't have any really good information about it over the weekend, not enough to run a story on. And then it wasn't until about four o'clock yesterday, they finally got back with us and told us that it was two people, not one person that had been released by mistake. Well, hold on um, a sec. Hold on a sec. Let, let, mm-hmm. I, I want to get more specific about this. Okay. On Saturday, they wouldn't even respond to an email or a phone call in which we're trying to find out if there was a danger to the community. Both of these People were involved in gun crimes in a year when gun crimes and homicides are off the charts. On Sunday, when we got them on the phone, they refused to answer questions saying, right. we'll talk to you on Monday. Now, the jail is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week operation, but they're not going to talk to us on Sunday to let the community know whether they have anything to be afraid of. Then on Monday, they barely answered any questions. It's inexcusable lack of transparency. And you can only conclude they're trying to cover up the fact that they're incompetent. Look, you've also, we've seen the memes. You had one mm-hmm. job, right? Yeah, the right. jail has one job. Right. It's to lock people up. It's to keep and they people can't in jail. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think they have another job, which is, you know, to keep the people that they put in the jail alive as well. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, it, this has been a pattern. I mean, we, we, we see this every couple of months and, and and every couple of months, I I'm left scratching my head, wondering like, how does this keep happening? Like, how do how have you not plugged this hole by this point? And 
And I get it. Look, they, they've been dealing with the pandemic. They've been dealing with this, but they've been dealing with this issue for a couple of years now, you know, and, and there's been a lot of, of focus and attention on the jail because of what happened with all of the deaths there between 2018 and 2019. It's, it's just, you have so much attention being paid to what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And, and you still see this stuff happening. It makes you wonder like what was happening when people weren't paying attention at your facility. So, you know, I, I, I'm glad we got this story. I'm, profoundly disappointed as both a reporter, a journalist, and a taxpayer of this county that that the county would be so cavalier in 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 hiding information about a potential public safety issue related to this county. I mean it it you're right. I mean these were gun these were people who were charged with gun crimes and they made no attempt to calm the public or or to try to reassure people that they were going to, you know, they were going to catch these people and do the right thing. Well, I think as of this story being published, I think one of the people is still at large. So, you know, it's this would have been information they could have easily gotten to us on a Saturday. Look, and, I, and I don't know why it took this long. Because they didn't want the public to know that they cannot shoot straight. Right. So so the first time you release somebody by accident. OK. Everybody makes mistakes. It's a pretty serious mistake. You figure out what the cause of it was. You look at your system. You you look for vulnerabilities. You fix them. Because, you know, across the country, every other jail manages to get this right. You do it a second time, it becomes kind of a crisis. Like, what happens if we let a murderer go, right? I mean, what mm-hmm. if we let a domestic violence guy who's vowing to go back and kill his spouse? So, So the second time, you really have to take it seriously we're up to number five i think the word you used cavalier they Mm -hmm. just don't care you know what 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 the buddhist administration wants is headlines look at us we're going to make a nice bike path along the lake hey look at us we're we're putting uh uh, solar panels on a landfill and they're not doing the basic job the basic job is run the jail collect the taxes provide the necessary social services to take care of people and it's just it's incompetent. It raises questions once again. Did we screw up 10 years ago when we reformed county government? Because even the corrupt county commissioners didn't screw this kind of stuff up. Well, that, that we know. of. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, come on. I, I, you know, I think whatever kind of government you end up with, you're you're going to end up with incompetence. I think. I think, you know, I mean, look, I'm from Illinois, where the government is about as corrupt as can be. And. You know, you get what you, you get the government that 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 sort of keeps good people out of. I mean, you keep competent people out of government by keeping people like, you know, Buddhist and, and people like that in office, because it's 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 clear that they don't have any vision or any 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 sense of how to do the day to day job. Well, like, it's worse than that. It's worse yeah. than that, though, because it's a one party county. Mm-hmm. So the election is decided by the party in the primary. So people don't get a choice in November. Republicans never have a say. Um, I mean, maybe when we reformed government, it should have been nonpartisan. So that at least you'd get a face off by a second candidate in November. I, you know, that, that there, I mean, I can't believe he would run again because he's had such a miserable term this time and he's only two years into it. But if Budish were to run again, the Democratic Party machine would discourage challengers inside the party from running against him. I mean, I would hope that the 
there's a momentum to get a better leader in the county at this point because of just how bad it's been. But but the chances are the party could prevail that that he'd be alone on the primary ballot and he'd run unopposed in the uh, fall or even if a Republican ran against him. It's been pretty clear that that that's going to be almost impossible. We got a problem. I mean, the the fact that this has happened yet again is a sign that this government cannot get the job done. Well, but. But, you know, what's what's fascinating to me is that, you know, we're not alone in having, you know, a a Democratic stronghold on our county government. I think this is common in a lot of big cities and, you know, in a lot of big urban areas. And and what you're starting to see around the country is is, you know, instead of waiting for a general election and for some perfect Republican to, you know, come out, you're seeing you're seeing a much more push for progressives to challenge these old party people in primaries and and they're doing a pretty good job of actually getting people and motivating to come out to vote and that's oh, we'll see yeah you know, and that's what I, I, I tell my friends it's like you know you think you're going to make big change on a national level but pay attention to these local races and and even think about running in these local races i mean you think of of such low voter turnout in these elections that being able to motivate people who are kind of sick of this stuff in your own party might be the easier route to take or let's go to summit county because they're not like letting people walk out the door what are we doing right that we're doing wrong go to allegheny county i mean it's just come on this shouldn't be that hard it's the job you're listening to this week in the cle how active are ohio healthcare institutions in testing potential coronavirus vaccines and what is one of the biggest challenges they face in finding people to test them on? Lord Johnson, at least we're not in Great Britain. <laughs> I learned this morning they're going to infect people with the actual coronavirus to test vaccines. What kind of lunatic would volunteer for that? In the U.S., that's not what we're doing. What's up here? So what we are doing, um, and Ohio has a bunch of this, Pfizer and its partner, BioNTNT. Tech, SE, and Moderna are conducting trials at research centers across the state uh, and the country. That includes University Hospitals and the Lewis Stokes Cleveland VA Medical Center. And then at Ohio State University's Wexner Medical Center, there's a two-year phase three trial of a vaccine developed by AstraZeneca, which is a British-Swedish company. And then Rapid Medical Research in Beechwood is testing another vaccine from Moderna. So these are all asking for volunteers. They're double blind, meaning that researchers don't know who's getting the vaccine and who's getting a placebo. A lot of these vaccines require two shots each and then multiple follow-up appointments. Uh, Volunteers get paid a few hundred dollars for their trouble. But you're right. No one is purposely getting infected with the coronavirus. They're recruiting people who have some risk of exposure in their daily lives, including healthcare workers and first responders. But the big problem is they want to enroll a representative percentage of African-Americans volunteers and Latinos to ensure that the vaccine is effective among those communities. They're being really hit hard by COVID-19, but people of color are hesitating to sign up because of a deep mistrust in the medical community that is completely founded because in the past with this Tuskegee study with the HeLa cells, they've been mistreated by medical establishments. So the idea that the lining up minority candidates for testing, the challenge there is they don't trust the medical establishment, right? Right, exactly. Um, in that Tuskegee study, and I know 
most people have heard of this, but you might not know the details. It started in 1932. They recruited 600 black men, some of whom who had syphilis, by promising them free medical treatment, instead gave them placebos and studied them as they died, went blind or insane, or experienced other problems with their health. And that study wasn't shut down until 1972. That is not that long ago. So if you know this in your background, you'd be really hesitant to say, sure, test me for coronavirus. You have no idea what you're getting. You don't, the researchers don't know what they're getting. And, and that's a lot of trust to put in somebody that's, you know, injecting you. And like you just said about in Britain being exposed to the coronavirus, like if you don't trust a doctor, how do you know you're not being purposely exposed? I mean, this is a big thing to put your life on the line for this trial. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty scary. But if you don't get enough minority candidates for Hispanic and black especially elderly people are particularly vulnerable to this virus. And so you need to have test results to show that a vaccine could work. But if you can't get people to agree and, you know, I mean, (laughs) this trust is based on a a, a terrible history in this country, you're not going to be able to persuade them that it'll work. So Julie Washington, who did the story, she's one of our health reporters, talked to a doctor who volunteered and she got her husband, who's also a doctor to volunteer and she's black. And she said, you know, I'm leading by example. So you really hope that they, they, you know, they, they get enough volunteers and that it it tests. I hope hope the vaccine tests well. All right. You're a trooper, Laura, talking through your cold. I'm really impressed. You're listening (laughs) to this week in the CLE. How many insurance companies are offering Obamacare plans in Ohio this year, and what is the cost going to be? Jen Cahoon, there's always a question about whether people in Ohio can get this kind of coverage. There's some in years, there have been some years where it's been fairly thin. Not so much this year, huh? No, this is pretty good news. We've got 10 insurance companies that are going to offer Ohioans plans next year on healthcare.gov, which is the marketplace where you can go if you're self-employed or you don't get insurance through worker government programs to, to get your coverage. And the rates have stabilized. The The average premium for those not receiving subsidies is is declining 0.4% to about $479 a month. Of course, a lot of people do get subsidies um, to get the insurance. Uh, they The Ohio Department of Insurance says residents in all of Ohio 88 counties have at least two insurance companies that they can choose from. In Cuyahoga, we will have six, and um, as well as in Lorraine and Lake counties. And then Summit and Medina counties each have five companies, and Geauga County has four. So there's um, there's more to choose from. And open enrollment on this begins November 1st and ends December 15th. And one of the reasons the insurance companies aren't raising the prices is they're all flush with cash because during the coronavirus especially in the beginning, people didn't go and get more of the elective surgeries. So the payouts were smaller. I keep getting like every month, some modest check from my car insurance company because nobody's driving or far fewer people are driving. And so you got to keep cashing these checks. Who deals with checks anymore? You're listening to this week in the CLE. What retaliation is being claimed by a whistleblower? on First Energy in the $60 million bribery and racketeering scheme in Columbus. Man, the tentacles of this thing, they're uncountable, Chris <laughs> Warnowski. What's this one? Um, so attorneys for a man by the name of Michael Persio filed uh, documents in U.S. court in uh, in Cincinnati that alleged that the company had targeted him for reporting information to the SEC 
Um, he was fired from his position as an auditor at a consulting company called Clear Salting, which is a terrible name, by the way. And, <laughs> and the Cleveland Consulting Firm, that they, that's the, the firm that actually helped assist First Energy uh, with an internal audit. They're based here in Cleveland. And the filings say that he reviewed the instructions for First Energy's 2019 audit, as well as the document itself following the re- arrests of former uh, Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and four other allies. And and he downloaded the information regarding the audit from ClearSulting databases and forwarded it to the SEC. And, and when he did that, um, you know, they fired him. <laughs> They found out he did that and they fired him. So it, what's what's interesting is that the the filings Monday in this are actually a counter countersuit against his former employer. So Clear, Clear Sulting and First Energy actually sued him in early September for taking the documents after he was fired. So he's now claiming that the reason they let him go is because he he took this information to uh, uh, the SEC. You know, if he's telling the the truth, if his if his case is real, you, it does give some credibility to the idea that something is going on behind closed doors to to stop the repeal of this thing. I mean, we we've questioned many times why haven't the legislators just repealed this thing? It's embarrassing. It's tainted. Everybody wants it gone, but they won't do it, and it and it makes no sense. So when you when you take out all the reasons that that might make sense, you start going to the more far-fetched ones, which might be what's going on behind closed doors. If there was retaliation against the guy for trying to bring their misdeeds to public attention, that kind of feeds the idea that there's still something going on to keep this billion-dollar boondoggle alive. Well, and what will be interesting, I think, is is what happens. I mean, it's 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 interesting to me that Clear Sulting and you know, First Energy have not thought about the implications of what will happen when discovery happens. And so, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of back and forth between the attorneys as to, you know, what evidence they have that they had caused to fire him and what evidence he has and what he, he gathered. So, you know, more power to them. But, you know, I just I feel like this is something that that has the potential to sort of blow up in these companies faces but you know i mean they're deep pocketed as we know <laughs> and 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 you know it's it's it, it's just it'll be fascinating to see how this this pans out and it'll be fascinating to see how many people in this thing will be wearing orange jumpsuits before it's over you're listening to this week in the cle one unforeseen consequence of the pandemic is that people adopted a lot of dogs for companionship while they worked alone at home What's an unforeseen consequence of all those people suddenly getting dogs for the first time? Laura Johnston? They need a lot of dog trainers. <laughs> <laughs> so this is happening across the country. Um, and I, it might have come up on this podcast before when I said I was looking for a, a dog trainer for my uh, eight-month-old golden retriever puppy who has a habit of jumping on furniture and stealing people's food. Um, so I've had a hard time trying to get um, 
a dog trainer, but this is happening everywhere. And so part of it is just, there's a lot of dogs that need training, a lot of puppies. And part of it is that there's this issue about going into people's homes and also ha- congregating in classes before you could take a class or someone would come into your home. Not everyone is comfortable with that on either side. So there's a growth in virtual visits. And then there's also just like the overwhelming demand that people can't make room for all of this. So there's one um, dog trainer named Scott Burdum who boards dogs at his facility in the flats for about two weeks. This costs $2,700. So it was not cheap, but they, wow. he takes your dogs for two weeks and he trains them and then he sends them home. And he's booked up until January, which is another interesting aspect in that he thought when the pandemic hit, you know, people are going to be out of work. They're not going to have extra money to spend on something like dog training. But it turns out some people do. So um, there's that issue. And then there's people that have lost a lot of their business because they, they don't feel comfortable going into people's homes. Um, and then there's people that do it outside and they're really hoping for a mild winter so they can k- keep working with dogs. The idea of having somebody take your dog for two weeks to train the <laughs> dog and send it back kind of runs counter to what I know about dog. I mean, you need the owner of the dog to be able to maintain the order, right? Dogs just want to know what the rules are. And if you're even with the dog, they listen. I've known people that are really good about working with their dogs. And I know people who can't control their dogs all and they bark and go nuts every time you see them. I just, I, I wouldn't think that sending the dog away for two weeks would work. You need to send the owners away for two no, weeks. No, I, I agree. <laughs> the problem with my dog is not that... I'm not firm. It's the kids that want him on the the furniture and think it's fun to feed him, right? Like you have to get your whole family on board with keeping the rules or else it's just, you know, yeah, but, but, break loose. but, but, but take that out. So you send your dog, your cute dog off for two weeks of training. The dog comes home. The kids are still going to be feeding them on the couch. <laughs> I send my kids away for training. <laughs> right. I really, I think it's the owners that need the training, not the dogs. The dogs are actually kind of smart. You're listening to this week in the CLE going to have to leave it there. We were going to talk about what Mike DeWine did when he came to town yesterday, but the truth is, Jane Coon, he really didn't do much anything beyond what he normally does. <laughs> the same old begging wear and feeding, wear masks, right. yeah, so, coronavirus you, is out you, of control. You, you're really cool. making me look forward to this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jane, it's good to have you back. Laura, take care of yourself. I hope you feel better. Chris Ranowski, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE. 